next episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. With me is Zach Miller. He's one of our legal instructors here at the company, teaches constitutional policing. You have heard him before if you listen to any other podcast with our company. Zach is a blessing for all of us. Thankful to have him. Zach has the brain and power to sit on the United States Supreme Court, in my opinion. You're laughing about that. It's funny. But yeah. I do say that to people. I say that all the time. Uh, and today we're going to talk about some more legal issues to try to help you guide your career better. If you're looking for Zach's training course, Check out streetcop.com. Join our Facebook group. I'll say it at the end of the podcast, at the beginning, because we are offering free training. It doesn't cost you a thing to join it. And you can follow us on Instagram as well. We have an Instagram public and an Instagram private account as well. Our training courses are worth 10 times the value that you're going to get. I mean, guys, listen, you're getting the value here on the podcast. Imagine what it's like to be in class. This year, I think this company is going to, and I don't want to throw a number out there. I think we're going to teach probably in the ballpark of 20,000 cops this year, which sounds like a lot, but in my mind in three to four years, I think it's going to be 100,000 cops, 200,000 cops. Uh, As we continue to grow and offer, from what I believe, some of the best training products in the country because we put a lot of thought and care into them. So without further ado, Zach Miller, say hello. Hey, good good to be here. What is the topic we are discussing for this week's podcast, Zachary Miller? Um, so we are going to pick up where I believe we left off the last time we spoke uh, about consent to search on traffic stops. Um, we, as a Fourth Amendment matter, we'll, we'll, we could touch on some state law deviations in a second. But um, so let's let me let me start out with a scenario, and then we can kind of go from there. Real straightforward scenario. So let's say we stop a car um, for speeding, and you've got two occupants in the car. And we have two officers. So whether it's a two-man unit or your backup shows up right away, we got two officers on scene. We have a, a driver and a passenger, front seat passenger. And let's just, for to make this simple, let's make the front seat passenger the owner of the vehicle. And we know, we discover when we get up there that we know that's the owner. So we got uh, our first officer is going to be talking to the driver the for the speeding infraction. And the backup officer goes over and is talking to the passenger who happens to be the owner of the vehicle. So while during the um, drop, while the driver's interacting with the, the, the stopping officer, the, the front seat occupant is talking to the backup officer and the backup officer asks during the course of this uh, stop for consent to search the vehicle. So it's his vehicle. So if he gives us consent, we can search uh, the entire vehicle uh, and we don't, we don't need to ask the driver. So, so while the, the driver is being uh, maybe given his warning or whatever, we're still on the stop. This is not, uh, we haven't transitioned to a voluntary contact. So the backup officer says, can I search your car? And the uh, pastor says, yes, you may search my car. And the question is, well, is that a law? Is the request for the search, first of all, is that lawful? Uh, and then also would the search be lawful uh, as a Fourth Amendment matter? And we again, and we have no reasonable suspicion. Let me put that in. We have no reasonable suspicion to believe there's any drugs in the vehicle, any contraband, nothing stolen. It's just uh, the officers just kind of uh, throwing it out there and just to see if he can get lucky with a, a consent search. So that's what happens. Does that violate uh, the Fourth Amendment? And uh, so I'll say the the majority view uh, nationwide and is no. That's that's a lawful request for consent, and then the subsequent search would be lawful. Now there's one state that uh, that I'm aware of, and I believe it is the only state is Kansas, 
would hold that that is an unlawful search under the Fourth Amendment, not under state law. Um, and the reasoning for that is, is the, the request for consent, according to the Kansas court, uh, in the case of State versus Smith uh, from 19, uh, 2008, Kansas Supreme Court, uh, the problem, according to, to Smith, is that that question exceeds the scope of the stop. It doesn't add time to the stop because we're still dealing with the traffic matter. Uh, but it's the question is not what do I mean by scope is it's not related to the reason for the stop speeding stop. I'm going to jump in here real quick and ask a few questions to you. Okay. What are some permissible questions that the courts have allowed police officers, even on pretextual stops in that that scope of that time limit? And I think you should probably touch on that just a hair and kind of coincide coincides with this. Yeah, what things that basically questions? things that would have you know at least outwardly nothing to do with the reason for the stop, uh, things that are allowed. Uh, do you have any weapons in the vehicle? That's, that's generally a permitted question on, let's, on a speeding stop uh, because the justification is safety, uh, not searching for evidence. So any weapons in the vehicle, um, itinerary questions are generally permitted. Um, some basic departure, just destination, purpose yes. trip. Yep, where are you coming from? Where are you going to? Uh, those courts generally hold those are okay. Um, regardless of if it's just a single officer asking. Um, How about anything illegal in the car? That's probably, uh, that's about a 50-50 split. Uh, mo and I think it's probably more more than like 70-30. Uh, most, the majority view is that's going to be an unlawful un uh, question because on a traffic stop for a traffic infraction, th that question, is there anything illegal in the vehicle doesn't really have anything to do with the reason for the stop. I'm going to back up just a hair and jump in on that one real quick. Um, in our courses, we obviously discuss the questions you're going to be asking on, on motor vehicle stops. Now, essentially what we're trying to do is train folks to recognize uh, indicators and to keep it vague because it's a public podcast, real solid reasons the courts have recognized to be important factors in generating reasonable suspicion. So at the point of, you know, I try to remind everybody that the conversation is not the only thing where you're developing reasonable suspicion. Right. A lot of times police officers are having a hard time articulating reasonable suspicion. And I've said this before in the podcast, you can use our RS checklist to see what it, what it says and what you can come up with. But for example, Kenny, who's teaches a class called interdiction mastermind, he'll probably develop enough reasonable suspicion uh, to move forward with questions like that merely by the time he is done collecting documents based on a number of factors that he's seeing through his training experience and one of the most successful interdiction officers in the country, uh, where most of the time if he is, I'm sure if he's done with something uh, or, or he stopped the car and he swung and missed, he is not spending any more time not noticing anything on his checklist. So with reasonable suspicion, even some of it, would you say, is there anything legal in the car is a fair question to ask as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Once you've got the RS, there's something criminal going on, uh, then yeah, we've, we've broadened the scope of questioning that we can ask, absolutely. Can you go from asking those itinerary questions and having some deviance in some of those questions and then going into something? Is there anything illegal in the car? And can body language and all that stuff count towards that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the, 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 the purpose. I, I think the subjective purpose for asking where you're coming from, where you're going from, uh, in most officers' mind, is to develop reasonable suspicion of criminal activity. It, 
I don't think most officers really do care where you're coming and going from uh, as on a traditional speeding stop, unless we're trying to find some discrepancies and answers, especially when you have multiple occupants and we're asking those same questions and we're looking for inconsistent answers. And that certainly is, is going to build that RS that we need. Now, um, the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, I'm guessing in Cabayas and Rodriguez, they discussed about, let's take Cabayas, for example. You can deploy a dog to sniff a car on a traffic stop without reasonable suspicion, as long as it doesn't extend the time of the scope. It's still part of the scope of the, the stop, right? That is what most courts have taken from Cabayas. Yeah, the, the dog okay. sniff is not a search, therefore it doesn't need to be justified. So wow. in that time, if you if you didn't have a canine, but you had those three to four minutes while you're waiting for your warrant checks to return instead of twiddling your thumbs, could you continue to engage upon a conversation with the folks, maybe even starting out smaller? And once you start seeing some of the discrepancies, begin to expand and broaden your, your questioning? Absolutely. Yes. Unrelated yeah. to the purpose of the stop in that time? Yes. As long as you're developing um, a reason, a justifiable reason for those questions. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah. So we want to urge that, listen, if, if you... Uh, you know, if you're asking the questions and it seems like everything is up to par, you know, you'll just have to know how to work it correctly. This is probably not the kind of technique that most people running blind radar. And, you know, you obviously running radar, you're going to trip over something once in a while and step in shit. You know, if you stop a thousand cars, law of averages and ratios say 95% of the cars on the highway are, you know, not engaged in criminal activity. 5% are, it's DEA statistics, right? So, if you stop a thousand cars, you're going to hit one or two or three that are going to have some kind of criminality associated with it, whether it's a suspended driver or something in the car they're not supposed to have. I've even had people who reached out to me who hit, I had a guy in, uh, I'm not going to say the state, I don't want to reveal any details, but he hit a significant amount of cocaine on a traffic stop and he didn't know what to do. And it was a speeding violation because the guy was poking his brains out and flying through traffic. He stopped the car. He kind of knew something was wrong and ended up finding a half a kilogram of cocaine, which is, you know, 500, kilograms, uh, thousand grams. Yeah, so it had 500 grams mm-hmm. of cocaine in a bag on a track. That's a lot of coke. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yes, it will happen. If you are somebody who is understanding what pretextual stop means and you're trying to implement these tactics on the roadway, the question that anything illegal in the car just knowing at a point as, as you're developing things, when you've seen the things that you've been trained on is going to be acceptable. Like we talked about, it's not. So people are under the impression that uh, normally they'll have prosecutors telling them you can't ask if there's anything legal on a car on a traffic stop. And they're wrong. You can, you just can't do it. To, if you're going to run laser guns and go on a fishing expedition, is that correct? Yeah. That, that question has got to be supported by reasonable suspicion or, or at least uh well on your way to reasonable suspicion mm-hmm. you know what i'm what i'm talking about is just the random you know i don't see anything in this car so let me roll the dice and ask if he'll let me search the car you know the um not don't, sure. yeah what i'm iterating is guys get confused with subconsciously knowing something's wrong with a trained person who understands reasonable suspicion and can articulate what is wrong so people will say this to me all the time i knew yeah. something just wasn't right right if i was there or somebody else was there we could articulate 19, 23 things that were indiscriminate with the car. Um, you know, so I don't want guys getting confused. If you feel like you're there and something's not right, maybe having somebody else take eyes on it later on is a good idea to help articulate your reasonable suspicion because you're just not conscious of it. 
-hmm. but certainly don't dissuade yourself from asking that question on a traffic stop um, because you may be very well justified in asking that question. We just don't know it. So there is no bright line rule that you cannot or can ask. You just have to know when it's allowed. Right. Yeah. When, yeah, when is it legally, when, when would I be legally justified in asking these questions? Yeah, there, there's no one question that you can never ask on a traffic stop, you know, depends on what the circumstances are. And then, and then the court is up to the courts to ana analyze and see if it was proper at that time. Right. On and the, the good news is, is most people aren't, go you know, like, listen, most, most people aren't going to a suppression hearing or a trial and get a challenge the legality of that question because, you know, and, 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 and I hate to say it, but, they don't know any better. You know, their, 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 their counsel is not going to know that that's, a, that that's a thing. Right. You know, um, and I, I just, I can, in my mind, I can see the new guy saying, oh, do I have enough? Look, it's probably just a fact of you not being able to articulate what you're experiencing, but there's no question about it. People say, well, what's it, what's it between a criminal motor vehicle stop and a regular motor vehicle stop? Well, go out and turn your radar unit on and pull over people who are nine over the speed limit, clear, a clear infraction. You're going to see something very different than maybe another tactic that we'll advise you to do. And you're going to start getting real experience. Like, oh, okay. This one was this. This one was that. There's no better way to learn a dispute or two than going out and doing it so you can feel it. And, uh, you know, we, we've offered suggestions about how to uh, employ a tactic that will reveal warrants. You've seen that in my class, right? Yes. You know, and just enforcing some violations um, that people normally don't enforce with the totalitarian uh, intention and purpose to bring very, very wanted people to justice. We just had a dude got popped uh, in Jersey the other day, um, murder warrant, right? So a guy just picked the guy up, played the games, huh. got him on a, on, a, on a murder warrant. We just got another guy wrote in the group, you saw it, he had a guy in Oklahoma in some podunk town. There's a comment on one of the, on one of the threads and he said, uh, the guy sat in the county jail for three weeks, would not reveal who he was. And at like week three, he's like, all right, you got me. He's wanted for a homicide. Wow. And submitted to the fingerprints. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, always, I always advocate folks, don't be afraid to do your job. Just learn your job. And part of this is trial and error. And I think that a question like, is anything illegal in the car? Uh, well, you have to take into account when it is. It's not like it's a rigid timeline where you're like, do I have enough? If you think you're somewhere where you need to ask that question, um, I don't think it's going to be detrimental as long as you can explain it later on to go ahead and yeah, fire that. You have, to be able to just, you have to be able to justify the asking of that question. And, that, and the fact that you're on a traffic stop by itself does, does not justify asking that question. Just like anything else, it's not a pretextual stop. You didn't select this vehicle for some non-biased reason. Uh, and if people are listening to this and they're, and they're, they're through the public, there are many factors that the courts have considered in the analysis of using a pretextual stop and affording that time limit for police officers to confirm to spell their hunches. Um, and by the way, even those hunches, I, I, in my mind, I believe are built on reasonable suspicion too, right? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, you just have to be able to put it into words and articulate what it that's is. Right. And that's, that's where the biggest detriment is. That's where we're seeing all the suppressions coming out of is a, is a lack of, what is the defense going to challenge when we have a pretextual stop with a discovery of large amounts of contraband is the reasonable suspicion. That's the only game they really have to play generally, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So, I, um, that's what we're trying, yes. we're trying to help 
if we know that's the issue, how do we resolve this issue? Well, here's a 13 page checklist of collected data that you may be in the presence of criminal activity, help you articulate what you saw and felt. Yeah, I think I think the reasonable suspicion to uh, expand the scope of a stop on a traffic stop is probably the weakest link in in the in a vehicle case, like a case where you find a bunch of drugs or whatever. Usually, usually the probable cause to search the vehicle is not as problematic as the reasonable suspicion to justify the asking of the consent or or whatever, extending the duration of the stop or whatever is required. Yeah, that's usually the weakest link. Again, I don't want people to get confused on. Um, and that's why I say, you know, constantly read case law, understand what we're talking about. And, you know, you can rely upon this advice as well. But I don't want people to think it's contrary to the advice that I give them in class, understanding that we are switching the dynamic from running random plates, shooting laser guns at bumpers and running radar to now taking in factors in totalitarian totality of circumstances and then finding yourself in a situation, being able to fire that question out, uh, you know, for the purpose to discover or reveal if there is reasonable suspicion, I'm sorry, or criminality inside the vehicle. Good with that, fair statement? Yes, I uh, agree 100%. Okay, cool, that's it. And, and by the way, somebody said to me recently, Zach, uh, they gave us a compliment in Tennessee. They go, the best part about your podcast with Zach is you playing devil's advocate the whole time. That's really helping us understand. And if you guys haven't caught on, I volley these questions back I know the answers, but I do it because I'm trying to help clarify. And I know the questions that are coming, going to come to people's heads when they listen to this to help them understand what we're advocating, what we're saying. We really, really want you to do this job right. And when you do it right, you could do it legally, lawfully, and we can really curtail crimes. So it really comes down to at the bottom, the back end of it is having successful apprehensions of criminals and good cases. That's what we're talking about here. If you didn't give a shit about successful apprehension and good cases, you could merely, for the most part, just answer your radio. Um, however, you would still need to know, because you'd have to be obligated to take law enforcement action in some some junctions. I think the only thing, I mean, anything can turn into a situation where you need to know case law. Would you agree? Yeah, it's, at some point during your your daily shift work, you're gonna you're gonna encounter a situation where you need to know what your authority is. Even a car crash, right? Like it, you got a car crash, oh. you show up. The guy may be intoxicated. Can you go into the car? The car is disabled. You see something in the car. You're going to run radar. They want you to run plates. You have to make a contact with a gentleman who got called. It, you know, so it's, I, I find it wild. And by the way, I was a subject of this too, that this is not something that is the most, or, you know, regarded as the most important thing for cops to know. And you know, hopefully we're changing the dynamic of that. So it's crazy. Yeah. It's you got to know the legal authority first, first and foremost. I think on every situation, I would I would say that that's probably the most paramount skill. Overall, on a on a on a applicability in this, I'm not saying that knowing how to shoot a gun, having marksmanship, knowing how to get physical, there's nothing you're going to exercise more than your legal know-how on the street. Other stuff's important too. I always tell guys uh, they want to send me to a shooting course. I want to come to your street cop training courses. Okay. It doesn't mean that the shooting course isn't important, just so you know. You need to have a good potpourri. You could like this stuff more. You could like chasing drugs and guns and contraband and apprehending kids from being kidnapped and bringing wanted people to justice. That's phenomenal. But don't forget, you should at least pepper in a little bit of the other stuff too to give yourself a nice, uh, well-rounded feel of things. So don't don't absolve yourself. You shoot, if you barely qualify, you know, 
taking a tactical course here and there, and if you have the opportunity to do so, could never hurt you. Right. Right? I'm not telling you to take a take a IT course on how to, you know, reprogram a computer. Take things that are relative to the work that you're doing. And being a street cop on the street, there's a high likelihood that you would you'll end up engaging um, at some point in your career in physical altercations or or a deadly force situation. I don't I don't know if you can make it through 25 years without finding yourself in one of those two things. And when I say deadly force, I don't mean you have to pull the trigger, but you're at a point now where you're getting close to it. I mean, would you agree? I mean, I think in most jurisdictions, that'd be true. Um, certainly inner city jurisdictions. I mean, you guys are busy where you are. Long you, you don't got to reveal where you're at, but you guys are busy enough where you would find yourself in that situation. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I have. I've personally found, yeah, I've never used deadly force, but I've been yeah. in situations where it's been very close. Oh, yeah. me too. And um, people have asked, like, why didn't you do it? And I'm like, yeah. eh. I don't know. it got resolved, you know? Yeah. Right. It's a tough thing to do to make that call. And I, I, my hat's off to the guys and girls that have to make that call and have to employ that kind of force uh, with the intention of preserving their life and the life of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very difficult call to make. And when you have to do it, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And it's not an easy decision to be made. Contrary to public's view on things, uh, it's not an easy thing to, you know, to, to have to make. But anyway, back to this. Let's go back to Kansas now. We've, we've discovered that. We know that on a traffic stop, you get... How much time? Well, the time to do what? You get the time to investigate the scope of the stop, the reason for the for the traffic stop. Right. And, and so, so in Kansas, like I said, unlike every other state that doesn't deviate under state law. Uh, Hold on, I'm going to jump in real quick again. Just can you go over what you're allowed to do on a typical traffic stop? Yeah. Collecting documents, warrant checks. You tell me what you can do. Yeah. So, all right, collect obviously collecting driver's license, insurance, registration. That include the the licenses of the passengers as well if they're willing to give them to you yeah if they're they can we can always ask if they'd be willing to provide identification we would you think it's a good idea to do that while we're collecting the driver's information as well at that time yeah i think so um yes um i have seen uh i've seen a couple of states under state law that don't allow you to ask the passenger for id um right too Maybe, and I want to say Washington, but I'm not positive. Um, Probably Massachusetts, too. So you've got these two states out of 48, out of 50. So right. 40 other ones have said, law. yeah, there's yes. state law. Yep. Yes. But under the Fourth Amendment, yes, you can request identification from the, from the occupants. Um, running, uh, obviously, once you have identification, you can run the warrant check. You can run them through your local database, whatever your records management system is. You can run them through the driver's license database, DMV, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, once you have those things, you can run a full computer check, uh, on anybody. Uh, and then of course, you know, writing your citation warning, whatever it is. Uh, those are the things. Investigating into the purpose of the stop. So if it's a brake light being out, we could figure out why the brake lights out. How long it's been out, where you, where it's out. Yeah. What's called. Yeah. Those kinds of things. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, typical questions. And like, like I said, we can ask safety questions is there anything uh any any weapons in the vehicle that's that's a permitted question um now anything beyond those things that aren't tied to the mission of a a traffic infraction are going to either well in kansas uh well i take that back if it's consent to search that's going to require reasonable suspicion in kansas in kansas only as their interpretation of the fourth amendment but not by state law Correct. This is not them saying under our constitution, under the state constitution, we're requiring it. They think the Fourth Amendment requires it. Um, And I'll I'll circle back to that in just a second. But in every other state, 
the as long as we're not extending the duration of the stop. So that's what um, most states are concerned, including the Supreme Court, when it comes to traffic stops, they're concerned with the duration of the stop. Anything that extends the duration of the stop uh, must be supported by reasonable suspicion. Um, that's why having that second officer in, in the scenario that I gave asking for consent to search, that would be perfectly uh, acceptable in any other state other than Kansas under the Fourth Amendment, because what I'm not doing is I'm not extending the duration of the stop. Um, and let me just jump in real quick and say, just so everybody's understanding what he's saying, their interpretation of the Fourth Amendment, for example, in New Jersey, under State v. Cardi, which is a New Jersey interpretation, we need reasonable suspicion in the motor vehicle setting only, only the motor vehicle uh, setting to be able to ask for consent to search. Um, I, I know some, I think Connecticut now has that and the Police Reform Act, some bullshit they came up with. Um, but anyway, that's all I wanted to say is don't get confused on this, folks. We're talking about Kansas' interpretation of the Fourth Amendment. So carry on. And because if you think about it, why, why asking for consent to search is not something that's tied to the mission of the stop. So, so generally, that would be an impermissible question. It's not something that would really further uh, a speeding stop. But if we're not adding time to it, the Fourth Amendment says that's okay. Again, unless you're in Kansas. Um, the pro, well, yeah, so uh, Illinois, um, not Illinois, uh, United, Rodriguez versus the United States, Arizona versus Johnson, they all stress that it's the duration of the stop that uh, must the focus is on. Now that's inconsistent with what Terry versus Ohio talks about. So that's kind of all of this uh, goes back to Terry and Terry is concerned with not only the duration of the stop, but also the scope of the stop, the questioning. Um, so, you know, again, this is my opinion and, and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but I think Kansas is correct. You know, if it, it, in a true uh, adherence to what the Supreme court first said in Terry, is not only does the duration have to be reasonable, but the scope has to be reasonable. What the included in the scope is the questioning, our line of questioning. But the Supreme Court has made it clear uh, in a long line of traffic stop cases that really the only thing they're concerned about is the duration. Um, so, so it's completely lawful. I just don't think that it's consistent with Terry, and, and I think Kansas is right. Kansas actually uh, is correct uh, under the Fourth Amendment. So, I mean, uh, if we're looking at extending duration. Uh, we can we can enter into conversations that are even unrelated to the stop. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'll, you can ask all. You can ask basically any question you want to, as long as you're not extending the duration of the stop. And that's difficult to do if you're the only officer there, because the time you take to ask these unrelated questions, they by definition add time to the stop. Well, that's why I let, I let guys know. I mean, if you're gonna, if you you know, generally most people are doing a warrant check through their force radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're if you have three people that you're checking for warrants and one dispatcher working, that's going to take five six minutes for a full sure. warrant check. So now you got five or six minutes of no matter what I talk about in those five or six minutes, I'm not adding time to the stop. Um, so that could be certainly an, an opportunity to ask your unrelated questions um, in that in that context w without having a second officer there. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Cool. So right. I mean, um, yeah. That's great. That's this good conversation to have. And, and again, you know, piece by piece, bit by bit, we are trying to help everybody understand what the legalities are. Um, if you are going to find yourself being faced in a suppression hearing, what you could look out for, things to take preemptive steps to avoid that, because we do want successful convictions and we want uh, we want to uphold the civil rights, regardless of somebody's breaking the law or not. We do have to follow the rules. 
And you want to show that you can follow the rules. And, and there's nothing better than when you show you follow the rules and you, and you will develop this reputation of being a rule follower, somebody who is doing things the way the courts have dictated you should do it. I remember one of the first criticisms I got was there was a gentleman who tried to run interference for me here in New Jersey. And I, I wouldn't give him the credit of saying his name. Um, and he told his officers that I teach trickery within the confines of the Constitution. And I said, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, he doesn't break the law, but like, you know, he does these things. Acceptable things within the confines of the Constitution. I know how to use the Constitution. I have taken what the courts have said they want us to do, and I do them the way they prescribe they should be done. And that was really his, uh, and yeah, that was, that was his complaint. And I said, well, you can complain about me all day if you'd like that. That's not a problem. Well, the key was, he said, within the law. So, I mean, that's... That was his complaint. He did never say that I broke the law. It's his problem is he thought writing tickets was police work. Right. So when his police officers actually went out and actually apprehended criminals, this happened, when I started this act nine years ago, and this would make people's heads spin, right? You have police department. I got a guy from the police department out here. There was an issue on top of that one. That's, this is the next one that's stacked on top of that one because all these numb nuts started getting in touch with each other. And so a guy calls me and says, hey, we have a relationship with your police department. We don't want to start any trouble. I want to call you and talk to you. And uh, that, uh, he's a lieutenant. And I, my hat's off to him. He goes, let me tell you what happened. He goes, this place hasn't arrested somebody in 23 years. He goes, unless we have to, nobody gets arrested here. You understand that? And they're a pretty big agency. Mm-hmm. He goes, they just don't know how to do police work and they never did. He goes, we send three guys to your training class and they got eight arrests on Saturday and Sunday. I, and he goes, and by the way, I know they were legit. I said, of course they were. It was a, they use one of the tactics we employ. Uh, and again, it's not like I'm saying go out, violate people. Hey, look for this. This is what it's going to look like. These are simple arrests, and you're not going to you're be surprised. You get this guy who fought this murderer, right? Wanted for murder. Uh, it was a simple tactic. It's very light. It's very unintrusive. Uh, it's a mere uh, submission of your, your identification, where we are able to check for warrants and. And they do. And, and he said, I, I get it. They've just never seen anything like this in their lives. This command staff has never seen eight proactive arrests in a weekend. You know, Zach, this is a place that has 120 police officers. They've never seen I'm like eight in a weekend. Christ. I mean, sometimes I had by myself eight in a tour. Right. I don't mean it in my, I'm saying a tour, my four day tour. I mean, not unheard of, you know, because I always, uh, spend time checking warrants with people because I just, I never read the first time I ran somebody and found a full extradition hit. I was like, man, you know, I, I, I got to make sure that when I find these people and I can, I'm in a position to compel identification that I am certainly employing my authority to ensure that it's not one of these other people again. You know what I mean? You never know who you're dealing with until you know who you're dealing with. <laughs> and I can tell you, nothing feels better than bringing somebody like that to justice. Right. And for the people who would listen to this that have a misinterpretation of what we're arguing, uh, imagine being the victim's family. Imagine it was your sister or your daughter or your or your anybody, your son who was sexually assaulted and you wanted justice. Well, you can rest assured that the tactics that we teach bring those people to justice. And by the way, if you don't have a warrant, there's nothing to worry about. You're not even going to get a ticket. Right. But if you don't have a warrant, but if you do have a warrant, well, then you are going to be brought to justice by people that we train. Um, so, you know, things I just want to iterate before we get off this thing. And if you have anything else, I guess we'll do it in the next episode. 
Hopefully we'll start getting a little more of these uh, churned out. A lot of classes coming up, checkoutstreetcop.com. We have over 20 instructors now. Uh, again, I tend to believe that we have some of the finest police training in the country. Willing to have a conversation with anybody, anytime they want to sit down and have, and you know, listen, our, my delivery is obviously a little Jersey-ish. I have some foul language at times, but like who doesn't talk with that here? But don't confuse the intelligence of this, this company and, and what we are trying to bring to the table. And we are willing to have the conversation with anybody who has uh, reasonable common sense or uncommon sense to sit down and understand both sides of things. Uh, and it's not an invitation for some fucking wacko to start reaching out and try to interview us. Uh, I told you I've, I've done interviews with some very liberal news networks and those interviews are gone. You'll never see those. They're over. And the biggest regret I didn't know, cause I just, this was during the, uh, you know, this incident in Minnesota, they had found me, they reached out. We got into conversations. They did not like the answers. So they moved on because the answers were very intelligent. No bullshit, real story. Right. And that's on a couple occasions. Uh, what, you know, one of them I would not engage in. I can see where the guy was going with it. It was going to be a barrage of insanity. And he probably would have made himself look like, a, like an idiot himself, to be honest with you. But uh -huh. um, I'm proud to say that, boy, if I ever sat down on a panel, I know exactly who I'm taking from this company to sit with me on a panel. And uh, I feel like, you know, we could take on the world. I probably wouldn't even do most of the talking. I would just maybe, maybe just say, hey, what do you think about this? This is my other two cents in here. But let's face facts. I have a problem not talking. So Zach's <laughs> so like, yeah, it's, it's true. Is what it is. Well, anyway, thank you again for another great episode. Uh, we, I can't thank you enough. We're doing a service for the world that is phenomenal. If you guys have any questions, you can reach out to streetcoptraining at gmail.com. Tell your friends about the podcast of the law enforcement officers. If you like what you're hearing, we will continue to deliver more um, as we can. I and running a very large training company at the moment. It's only getting larger and larger. Check out the Street Cop Conference, October 4th through the 8th, Atlantic City, New Jersey. It'll be the law enforcement event of the year. We have a lot of people registered. That's gonna be, dude, that's going to be a big one. Uh, I, we, have a, we have a lot of people coming to that one. Um, oh, my thing went to zeros. I can't see who it is. We have a, we have a lot of folks. It's so weird. Um, I was just checking my, my board over here. So my thing's... Uh, we have a lot. I, I, we're well over. It's it's now May 7th at the recording of this podcast, 2021. And I know we have over 650 registered for the conference, which is coming up in October. So I'm going to guess that we're going to have somewhere in the ballpark of 12 to 1,500 people in attendance to that conference. And from the lineup we have this year and the talent that we have, I, I would suspect that number is going to increase dramatically the following year. We're going to make it a week worth of your time. We're essentially going to cost you $100 a day to take some of the best training and hear from the thoughtful, most thoughtful people in the country on how to do this job better, resiliency, all that jazz. So without further ado, thank you, Zach, for being here today. And I will catch up with you in the, uh, in the future, my friend. See you next time. Thanks. Okay.